Welcome to Ms. Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen. Good morning, Outlaws. It's finally stopped raining. It's been raining insanely, and that is a wonderful thing, and everything is so lush and green. But also, there are people I know who are having... uh, Lots of water seeping to their basements. Um, my gazebo, the roof practically broke from the weight of the rain, and uh, the planters are all swimming pools. But anyway, it's better than fire and smoke. Had quite a mixed bag of a weekend with uh, a uh, pretty amazing uh, rock music festival. My favorite was Helix. Not just because of the nostalgia, but because they came out and they kicked ass. And that was just fucking awesome. And I was right in the front row. So I got to fist pump and sing along and interact with the musicians on stage, you know, when they point at you and they say, rock and roll. And right away you're 15 again. And it's a beautiful thing. And then there was, you know... The endless rain, which sometimes gets you down, especially when you're alone. And what else happened? Oh, my mother went to hospital for a few hours. And then my cat decided to claw up my lip, which, yeah, it was just, you know, one of those days of vibes that weren't exactly jiving. So, uh, yeah, I woke up this morning and and read poetry and read poetics and didn't write a poem. But I did write a poem on the weekend about the experience of going to the music festival. And I've been reading this book, Social Poetics, which is delving into all the erased anthologies and movements around the world where poetry is connected to social action. And, you know, for me... I never want content to reside above sound and craft and all the essential oralities and structures of the art that poetry is, but when it can combine with powerful meaning, uh, subject matter, uh, and so forth, it's, it's really the most potent tool we can have. And uh, today... Speaking of potent tools, we have a high school teacher, Jordana, who is interviewed by Catherine Audio as my guest host for Elaborations. And Jordana, she teaches high school English. And I had so many, you know, up and down emotions listening to her because I firmly believe that If a child is exposed to poetry early on, it's read to them, there's books of poems around the house, most of the time that child will have a positive relationship to poetry. But if that's not available anywhere and then they go to school, unfortunately, very few teachers will make that relationship happen. Uh, Fortunately, there are those magical ones that exist Um, and Jordana, she is both, uh, partially one of those magical ones and that she's, well, she's young, she's 30 years old. She's a singer. So she works a lot with song lyrics and she 
uh, sees poetry as a way of uh, allowing her students to express what they need to, as is shown in the poem, The Collaborative Piece She Reads at the End, which is really more of like a mini essay to me, apart from the anaphora, but about, uh, it's called Blatant Hatred, and it's about fat shaming. That's super important. Um, but there's also the fact that, you know, her first encounter with poetry was on Tumblr. So that's not something <laughs> that I can relate to as somebody who had, a, you know, the golden treasury of poetry at three years old. It just It's just funny to me, uh, the thought that you would discover poetry in that way. And what kind of poetry is it and who's written it? And are the actual poets, are they just people you know, writing poems and what difference does that make? Um, as an Asian and a woman, she says that uh, she felt a disconnect with the lackluster poetry in school and the way it was taught, the analyzing to death. Uh, so she's tried to change that by not focusing on analysis and it is an important unit for her. Uh, but at the same time, there's so much less in focus on reading uh, and then there's this there's this notion that if you're reading poetry, somehow you have to analyze it at all times and, and, and understand everything about it, unpack it, find that core meaning. And, you know, really, I mean, reading, that's that's the pleasure. That's the joy. That's the core of it. And then the writing follows from that. Uh, so kind of reversing the process is, is always a bit disconcerting to me. Uh, she calls poems mentor texts. So as if the poetry is utilized in order to uh, expand and enlarge on a particular strategy or technique, and then again, kind of put aside so that the student can then write their own poem in that style or modus, which yes, these poems are teachers, but they are also not discardable. Uh, so she says she doesn't buy poems for herself. Um, she sees poetry as empowering students to have agency. And yeah, she's full of energy. Um, she's probably one of your better examples of teachers and poetry. Um, I'm just, I'm just so critical. <laughs> I just feel so intensely about the art that it pains me to see it utilized as just a means to an end ever. But on that note, I'm very grateful for Catherine interviewing Jordana. So please enjoy this interview with a high school teacher about poetry as part of elaborations on Miss Lyric's Poetry Outlaws. part of Miss Lyric's Poetry Outlaws for Catherine Owen. And who do we have here today? Go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, so my name is Jordana. I work at Jasper Place High School, which is um, one of the largest high schools in Edmonton. Um, I'm an English teacher, and um, I teach girlhood classes as well as regular English classes. Oh, that's wonderful. Cool. Well, thanks for talking to us. Um, so we'll just dive right in here. Describe your early experiences of poems. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I was, I, I'm trying to think about the first time I read a poem, um, been exposed to a poem, and I actually don't, I don't know if it was necessarily 
it within a classroom that um, where the poem actually had a lasting impression on me. Um, I'm I'm 30 years of age, and so I actually do think um, the poems that left a deep resonance with me had a lot to do with, um, I don't know if you'll know it, but this website that I used to use called Tumblr, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is very much kind of like an older version of Pinterest now. Right. Um, and that, I think, is where my first encounter and exposure to poetry was hmm. um although I probably didn't realize it at the time because it's quite imagery heavy and so it almost looks like a quote okay right uh with a backdrop with an image and all of that so in any case that's kind of where my mind goes right now as far as early impressions and exposures to poetry right. the poetry I studied in school was pretty lackluster to be honest okay how come I they just didn't leave an impression on me. I think a lot of the poems that I looked at in school uh, mirrors a lot of my experience with reading in English classes in general. There was just always a disconnect uh, between myself and the text. Um, and maybe that does also have something to do with, you know, being um, Asian American and a woman. I just didn't, a lot of the canon, a lot of the classics didn't really resonate with me. Interesting. I was able to get by. Yeah. And I was able to do well in school. But yeah, if you ask me, you know, name a single poem that I looked at, I don't, I mean, I could probably say uh, Robert Frost. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and that's, that's, yeah. It wasn't until university that I really um, even knew that there were so many other forms of poetry beyond just the structured. Right classics that I read. Okay. Yeah. Well, this might be baiting you a little bit, but do you think it was partly the approach to the poetry, not just the subject matter of the poetry, but did they sort of analyze them to death? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I hear that complaint being reverberated in the room with my students a lot of the time. So yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it was probably the approach as well as, you know, the text themselves, but probably more so the approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. All right, well, now bring you to your job today. <laughs> yeah. So what, what have you done in your approach to teaching poetry with your experiences as, you know, personally? Yeah, yeah. So poetry, you know, of course it's mandated by our curriculum, but it is truly like my favorite unit to teach. And I know a lot of my colleagues disagree um. and they would rather omit it completely. <laughs> but I, I really... And I say this to my kids as well, it, it's like the only unit wherein they can take their masks off and they can kind of uh, stop being a student and just a human. Um, and yeah. Um, so yeah, so my poetry units in 10, 20, and 30 doesn't matter. They're all very similar. I get them to write. Um, so um, that doesn't mean I don't get them to examine poets and poems, but a lot of um, what I get them to examine is not so much the heart of the poem or the message or the theme or what have you, uh, but rather what the poet is doing stylistically um, as a tool so that they, the students can, can kind of build their toolkit so that they can apply those tools to writing their poems. Mm, okay. um, and I only explicitly teach free verse poetry, which mm -hmm. is probably scary <laughs> because you know, on the diploma, they'll yeah. give them whatever, they'll give them a sonnet, give them a limerick. Right? Yeah, well, they're seldom, they're seldom that structured, the ones on yes. the diploma. They're often quite unusual. Yeah, and diverse yeah, and, yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. Yeah. So, so I've got a couple thoughts in mind. When you're teaching them, 
like that. So are you focusing more on sound? Um, you're not what do you mean by that? Well, you're not focusing on theme. You said you're focusing more on, um, like, how are you giving them some structure? Yeah, so I'm not, uh, so I called uh, the poems that we look at mentor texts. Okay. And so a lot of them are spoken word poems that I merely transcribe okay. onto paper so that they can um, see what it looks like obviously arranged as a free verse poem it can look like a lot of wacky things but then I also get them to watch it because that's how it's meant to be received and what they have to do is write as well as present so there's both elements as far as what I get them to focus on I guess it's the form as well as specific again specific tools that they're examining so mentor text number one could be an extended metaphor then they're just oh, trying to see how okay. the poet has executed that well mm -hmm. um and then they practice. They okay. do a poem that's an extended metaphor. So every mentor text is decisively chosen for what it can offer mm -hmm. to the students. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Backing up to you said your colleagues would sometimes hope they could omit. What, do, do they give you reasons? Uh, yes and no. I, I think that the perception of poetry, if, like essentially I think if you don't, if you don't see the value of poetry, you're not going to want to teach it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, same with Shakespeare, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't see the value of Shakespeare, but it's ingrained in our curriculum, you're not going to approach it with a full heart. Mm -hmm. and, and thus, it's boring, right? It's boring for you. It's boring for the students. So I, I have a feeling um, that that's the attitude towards poetry sometimes. Maybe it is still, again, again I don't want to speak for my colleagues, but mm -hmm. perhaps it is that like very set in stone idea that poetry is about analyzing, mm -hmm. but it's so hard to interpret meaning. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe it's kind of like fruitless <laughs> teaching it because you don't really know what Robert Frost is suggesting. Um, yeah. Well, that brings us to the big question then. What, what does poetry mean to you? You said it was always important to you. What, what is it about it? Um, yeah, as I said earlier, I think these days I'm not so drawn to reading poems on my own like uh -huh. I don't go out to chapters or my local bookstore and purchase an anthology to read for pleasure I think it's about empowering students and making them feel as though through poetry through writing it specifically they have agency and they uh -huh. have power to express themselves um to use their voice so to me I think it, it it's twofold like as a teacher I really I really do think there's so much value in doing poetry um specifically in getting them to write not necessarily reading um and I also I'm a musician so I mm. also feel in my personal sphere um it's just also it's the same thing it's just feeling like I have agency and feeling as uh -huh. though I can communicate how I feel uh via songs via Absolutely. writing what, what do you play I'm a singer. Oh, you sing? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I don't play anything. <laughs> That's wonderful, though. Yeah. yeah. So That's where I you just... get your poetry. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the songwriting is poetry yeah. to me. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, so you've chosen a poem for us. Tell us a little bit about it. And yeah. Go ahead. So this was, a, I'm going to read um, a collaborative poem that two of my students made to get. It's a little long. Is that okay? Um, yeah. <laughs> two pages. Sure. Um, and um, I was just, they presented it to the whole class last week and a lot of people were in tears it was just very raw mm -hmm. um they were able to pick their topic i also never 
dictate their topic uh -huh. just because it's so personal. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, it was just a beautiful combination of two girls who had never talked to each other before. Wow. And I picked their groups and they talked about fat phobia. Uh -huh. And so I'm just going to read it. May I might... Yeah, we'll see if it's too long. I can cut it, but sure. it's, it's awesome. It's called, it's called okay. Blatant Hatred. All right. I was four years old and still in daycare when I first tried one of those magical get thin routines. Albeit harmless, I overheard two girls talking about how if you hold your breath and suck in your stomach for long periods of time, your stomach would get stuck like that. Of course I knew it was stupid and probably made up, but it was the first thing I did when I got home. Can you tell me why I did that? Can you tell me why existing in this body feels like something worthy of punishment? Can you tell me why fat is a bad word? When I turn on the TV, I see characters like me, and I'm honestly just excited to see some representation in media. I watch in hopes that they're intriguing, intelligent, innovative, but I see the way they're treated, like some stupid child. Can you tell me why every fat character I see in your shows, your movies, have two personality traits which are being stupid and eating? Treat it like they're too fat to function? Can you tell me why? During our annual Thanksgiving dinner, my grandma stares at me with a subtle disgust in her eyes as I ask for seconds. She tells me I'll never find a boyfriend with such an appetite. Then, of course, my mom chimes in, discussing the few pounds I recently put on and how my way of life is unhealthy. They pinch my cheeks while giggles are exchanged around the table from everyone but me. I was too focused on the third plate my brother was preparing and how not a single remark was spat in his direction. Can you tell me why my grandma feels the need to make fun of my body? Can you tell me why I feel like crap when she does, even if no one else bats an eye? Even when I know everyone else thinks it's harmless? Do you know why? It's because it isn't harmless. It's because the way society treats fat bodies is terrible. It's because people know fat phobia is wrong, but they don't care and don't think about the lasting implications. It's because they view mine and other fat bodies as mistakes. It's because they think they're owed apologies and explanations for my body's existence. My body is not a mistake. I do not owe you an apology for existing. No one does. And it makes me so angry when you act like we do. I wonder if what I see in the mirror is what other people see. Because I see a whale who doesn't deserve to eat, but my friends always respond with, you're over-exaggerating, or you're literally skinny, so maybe it's just my mind. Everyone preaches body positivity and tries to convince me I'm smaller, but what's wrong with being bigger? Do I deserve to be punished? To hide my body? Do I deserve to starve or be stared at? Why is being fat so terrible? Tell me why fat people can't even post videos or pictures of themselves online without being told they're gonna die if they don't lose weight. Tell me, when Beyonce goes on her master cleanse diet of just juice for 10 days, no one bats an eye, but when Disney dares to display a fat main character in a short film, not even a movie, but a short, that it's promoting fatness. You and I both know why. I wanna feel confident in my body, I truly do. I don't want to settle for body neutrality. I don't want to carry the indestructible baggage guilt for the rest of my life. But it won't stop until society stops tearing down fat bodies. Until fat bodies are given the basic human respect we preach about. The respect for all bodies that will keep little kids from holding their breath in and sucking in their stomach, hoping it'll get stuck like that because they're too afraid of being considered fat. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. <laughs> You've been listening to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws. Stay fierce, word musicians. <laughs>